coming to you from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios, this is The Right Hash. The Right Hash is brought to you by Slim Sweets and by Speedy Custom Sneakers. Now, let's spark it up with your hosts, Luke Nadkarni and Alex Thompson. A very pleasant greeting and welcome once again to the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios. Luke Ned Carney, Alex Thompson with you, back with you, I should say, as we've gone about a week or so, a little over a week without doing a show. I've been on vacation down in the Florida Keys. Alex has been plugging away at work and been battling a little bit of a cold, but uh, hopefully not not the Kung Flu, uh, as, as I hope we're, hope we're done with that and hope done with that canceling sports. Heard, uh, heard variant uh, rumors of a new variant, but uh, hopefully, thanks to modern medicine, we won't have to deal with that in the sports world. Um, but Alex, glad you're uh, feeling better and uh, glad you got through that during the week. I know we were we were planning to try and do something while I was in Florida, but uh, Mother Nature and uh, your immune system said no. So uh, glad, glad we could be here for a Saturday show, though. Yeah, man. Mother Nature and Mother Russia are ruining everything <laughs> right now for everyone. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, glad to have you back from Florida. Uh, looks like you had a, a good time down there. You sent me some pictures while you were fishing and uh, hanging around South Beach for a little bit, um, looked like a good time. Good for you to get away and uh, and come come back refreshed, ready for this meaty part of the college baseball season. We hop into uh, NFL draft season real soon here. Um, you know, it's a uh, opening day was this week. We, it, there's a lot of coals on the fire for it not being football season for us. Yep, we're still going to talk a lot of football. We've got a couple of got a couple of debates to tackle. One small debate, uh, one big debate. We're going to go into the grinder for our third quarter. Uh, way a, a little little later on in the show, we're going to debut a new segment today, and we're going to look for your feedback. Let us know what you think. Uh, give us a follow at the right hash on Twitter. Send us an email if you prefer that route. Uh, the right hash at gmail.com. And before we go any further, I'd like to congratulate the winner of the first annual Right Hash Bracket Bash. Uh, we had a about uh, 25 entrants, and somebody actually won and got in contact with us, unlike the Bull Bash. Uh, so Mitts at Lickin' Broccoli on Twitter, the winner. He won the $50 Amazon gift card. So congratulations to Mitts Lickin' Broccoli. Uh, thanks for playing. Thank you to everybody for entering. Um, and we Absolutely. look forward to putting on some more of these these sports contests for you as the right hash. So, Mitz, once again, you are our first right hash bracket bash champion. One of one of the very few Kansas brackets we had in the field, and uh, set set himself apart because of that. Himself, <laughs> I'm actually not sure. Himself, yeah. Uh, the, this person's picture is a cartoon koala. So they 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 look they look they look like they 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 enjoy their life. Props to Mitz. Uh, please don't spend that fifty dollars in one place. Uh, so, uh, with that, we, Amazon, so you had to spend it all there. Yeah. I guess don't spend it all on one thing <laughs> or, or do, we don't care. It's your money. You want it. So you can yeah. do whatever the hell you want with it. And that's the point. Um, so congratulations to the Kansas Jayhawks for that win. Really, really a good game. Uh, as we jump into our first quarter here on the right hash, we're going to start with a little NCAA tournament, uh, tying it all together. Um, final four. Duke, North Carolina, everyone thought that that was going to be the game that everyone remembered, but I thought the final game itself was pretty memorable too. Kansas completing the biggest comeback in NCAA championship history, uh, coming back from 16 down in the first half, and a lot of people thought that <clears throat> this game was over at halftime. I never thought it was over at halftime. It was, you know, Kansas, we saw what they did to Miami, who was a really good defensive team in the Elite Eight, and 
you know, they didn't quite do that to North Carolina, but they did enough uh, to win that game by three points. Yeah, it was uh, honestly kind of a weird game. Um, but at no point did I feel like Kansas was out of it. That was kind of strange. Um, when Carolina did that to Duke in Coach K's last game in Cameron Indoor Stadium, or uh, uh, Cameron Indoor, um, I I didn't feel like Duke was going to be able to come back from that deficit. But at no point during that final game that I feel like Kansas was out because they had maybe the most ho-hum advancement all the way into the national championship of maybe any team I've ever seen. Um, it almost did not hear about them the entire way because none of their games were particularly competitive. I mean, there were a couple of close ones versus Creighton and Providence, but, um, you know, not, nothing nothing crazy. They weren't really on the verge of being upset by anybody. Um, so I was – well, while I didn't think they were out of it, I was surprised they were able to come back against the adversity because they hadn't really had any up to that point. Yeah, they they have a coach that has been around the block and a coach that it seems like the last time they faced adversity was in that 2008 final against Memphis where Mario Chalmers hit that uh, that three-pointer to uh, to tie the game and send it into overtime. Uh, Bill Self getting his uh, his second ring. Um, but I think the, the w- being able to deal with adversity when you aren't used to dealing with it, like Kansas wasn't, goes back to coaching. You know, if they had you know, he, Bill Self outcoached Hubert Davis in that game, and, and that's not an indictment on Hubert Davis. That more speaks to how good of a coach Bill Self is. And, and I gotta say, like many props to Armando Baycott for toughing it out through an injury, but. You've got to believe that if he rests a little bit early in the second half, he could have been more effective later in the half instead of succumbing to that final ankle injury that he did. Yeah, it's 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 a tough thing because if you if you rest Baycott, you are basically confirming that you're leaving the door open a little bit for Kansas. And I I, I understand the strategy I think Hubert went with, which was to try to firmly keep that door closed, not give Kansas an edge. Uh, you know. Uh, a little bit of light back into the room. Um, and for the most part, they did that for a little while until you start to see, uh, I started to see Baycott wear down as that second half went. And as he wore down, Abaji and the bigs for Kansas started to wake up a little bit. And um, it was, it was history from there, but it still went down to the wire. Yeah. I think the most telling part was at some point in the second half, you just saw Armando Baycott stop fighting for offensive rebounds. Yeah. And that's not like him at all. And that was where you could tell something was off. And, you know, you, you, you just, there's been a lot of talk about the floor and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it's just really unfortunate to see that in, in a, a championship game. But another thing I think that the, the final four taught us is that basketball is still all about the post. You know, it, it's like the trenches in football. Generally, whoever wins in the post wins the game. And, and as you get further along in the tournament, that becomes more true as North Carolina, you know, outplayed Duke in the post, and that's why they beat Duke. Kansas, on the other hand, outplayed North Carolina in the post, particularly in the second half, and that's why they were able to get back in the game. It wasn't because they were bombing away three-pointers. It was because they were getting to the basket. They knew that Carolina's bigs were tired, banged up, and they got to the free-throw line. And, you know, say what you will about Abaji being at the free throw line, but just being able to pile up those fouls on Carolina. It's almost like when you hand off to a running back 25, 30 times and just wear that defense down. 
yeah, it was is a death by death by paper cuts uh, strategy there. Um, the 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 post the post is dead um, until you get to the point in the season where you're playing with elite teams because elite teams always have that post presence. It might not be in the form of a Joel Embiid, you know, a seven foot, uh, you know, just a pure center. It, it very well might be that you know six ten six eleven Armando Baycott that's kind of that that switch you know four five almost he could almost play the three in the nba um if he if he learns how to shoot a little bit better um that that, that's that's what's impressive to me about about what carolina did is they didn't have a true center brady manic is definitely not a true center that guy is he he's he's not weak but i mean he's he's kind of a scrawnier post player and baycott like i said is more of that tweener four five um which is good for him because that's what the NBA loves right now, and he's he's a very very strong post presence for not being a true center. Um, it's I, I I agree I I agree with your assessment of the post. It, it's not it's not sexy and it's really not prominent because there's not a lot of those guys that are staying in college or playing entire seasons just because you know if you're seven foot tall by the time you're eighteen. Your body's not ready for that yet, and a lot of those no. guys are just not physically ready to play against, you know, it's, uh, super seniors. I mean, let's just call it. There's a lot of centers in the in college basketball that are six year guys that have been there forever, and it's hard for an 18 year old kid to do anything against that. So, um, but yeah, I hope people, the post play comes back. And people under people understate that, especially the last couple of years with the COVID years, the COVID extra extra eligibility. You've got 24, 25 year old men playing against 18 year old college kids. You know, yeah. 24, 25 is not your typical college basketball age. You're generally have a couple years experience in the NBA at that age. And now with, you know, with the eligibility being what it is, some teams who have been diligent about how they stack, you know, construct their roster are going to have that advantage still coming into next, next season because they're going to be, there's another round of people who are uh, going to be, able to have another year of eligibility. Uh, Kihei Clark for Virginia is a guy who's going to be ex- exercising his sixth year of eligibility. Um, so uh, you're going to see like some more of this uh, next season and possibly beyond. Oh yeah. John Fulkerson for Tennessee just set the SEC game played record because he's in his sixth season. Um, hey, he, he gets the jokes that uh, I guess like Perry Ellis got back for Kansas a while back. Uh, <laughs> I remember that just, guy. Just like being insanely old for being in college basketball. He's just like, what are you doing here, old man? But that's that, that's what COVID gave us. It gave us six-year seniors. And- and whereas you had Greg Oden, who was a freshman, like actually a freshman, but looked like he was 45. Yeah, Gre- <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still convinced Greg Oden, you know, had a mortgage and was like, he was like into the mafia, and they found some way to get him into, into eligibility for college basketball or something. Man. His knees fell apart the second he started playing basketball, so you figured he was probably forty or fifty years old. Yeah, I mean, he's the oldest person who ever knew how to take a wiener pick on a on a cell phone too. <laughs> have you seen? Have you have you seen the bench warmers too with the oh, yeah. the I am twelve? That was Greg, that was Greg Oden trying to get a college scholarship. <laughs> Greg oh Oden, man, man. Greg Oden. the Ohio State blast from the past, blast from the past. That was a great Final Four, 2007 with Florida and Ohio State, Georgetown. Um, God, I'm missing missing one other team, but that, that was a fun Final Four. Um, 
The other thing that I think the the Final Four, and especially the NCAA tournament, taught me was that look, I, I, I live here in North Carolina. I, I get the media the media circus all the time. The ACC still thinks it's the best college basketball conference since sliced bread. It's not, but the ACC, I'm ready to say, was a lot better than people were giving it credit for this year. Um, you saw Miami make the Elite Eight. You know, you, you knew Duke was going to make a run as much as you know the men in stripes were going to let them. Uh, but North Carolina, I think, was the team that really solidified that. North Carolina struggled a lot during the year with team chemistry. Uh, they didn't really get it together until you know mid February. Uh, you know, self-explanatory what they did at Cameron Indoor Stadium um, and in the ACC tournament before losing to Virginia Tech. But North Carolina was an eight seed, and they were left for dead in the first weekend against a, against a Baylor team that ever, myself included, a lot of people had picked to win the NCAA tournament in a year where the ACC was better. I might've actually picked North Carolina in that game, but even I thought, Oh, the ACC is not going to do a whole lot this year. You know, I picked Southern Cal to beat Miami in the first round. You know, I, I didn't really pick, I didn't pick Notre Dame to beat Alabama in the first round. So I'm saying this as somebody who, did not predict ACC teams to do as well as they did. The ACC was better than it was given credit for this year. I don't think so. I think they just had postseason coaches. They're, you know, the the usual suspects that made it to the Elite Eight or the usual suspects that made it to the Elite Eight. The difference is you had Carolina with Hubert Davis instead of Roy Williams, but, I mean, is that really a difference? He's a first-year head coach, but, I mean... He's using Roy Williams players who True. were d- doing fine before. So um, I, I, I'm not, I don't really – I don't think I would agree with that because I saw how the ACC played against other conferences during the regular season. Tennessee smacked that UNC team. That UNC team got blistered up until the last eight games of the season. That was a joke. That was a farce of a UNC team um, up until the last eight games. And Hubert Davis turned it around. Credit to him. But – I'm, I'm not, I don't have any uh, delusions that the ACC this year was better than it was. There's a reason that Wake Forest did not make the field. There's a, there's a reason that UNC was an eight seed. There's a reason that Notre Dame was, what, a 10 or 11 seed. Um, there's a reason Miami was a 10 seed. It's because it wasn't a good conference, and it showed an interconference play. They just have coaches that have been there. We, we, we talked we talked about them, and they, they did well to get their teams – further in the tournament because they're just used to being there, I think. And one of my biggest pet peeves about Hubert Davis is when people say he's a first-year head coach because he is not a first-year head coach. He coached the Carolina JV program since 2013. He knows how to be a head coach, and he has worked in that program, in those facilities, in those offices, with a lot of those players through the years. So every you know every national media outlet that was like, first-year head coach Hubert Davis, no, not true. Hubert Davis has been doing that thing for a little while, and, and I think that also played, you know, absent of how the ACC was, that also played into this. And that was something that didn't get any mention because I just don't think a lot of the national media knew that yes, Carolina's got a JV program. They play against a lot of postgrad uh, teams like Hargrave, Fork Union Military Academy, uh, a lot of teams from you know, the neighboring states at that level, and they also play against Division Two, Division Three colleges, and junior colleges. Uh, so Carolina's got a program that competes intercollegiately at the sub varsity level, and Hubert Davis was in charge of that for several years. So when he took that job, and everyone was saying he doesn't have any head coaching experience, yes, but also no, because you know, of what I just described. And I think that 
kind of that experience that Hubert Davis received. And I, I'm going to vomit after I say this coaching the Carolina way prepared him and this team for this final four run. I mean, let, let's be honest the, the way that both Duke, Duke and UNC are handling their transitions are more like a business than a actual like athletic department. They, that they, they have succession plans. Like the, Hubert Davis is handpicked by Roy Williams and everyone else who's, you know, kind of in that, I guess, to steal a Duke quote, that brotherhood. And then, you know, you heard Coach K reference it during his, uh, his I guess, retirement speech at Cameron Endor, where he said, we plan on keeping this job inside of the Duke brotherhood as long as possible. And that's one of the big reasons why Greg Shire is going to be the next head coach. And same with Hubert Davis. Don't fall into the trap that Luke is telling you about. It's not Greg Shire is going to be a first-year head coach, but he is not going to be new. He has been an assistant coach behind Coach K, it seems like, for the last decade. Um, this guy has been all over Durham basically since he's been a teenager. He has lived and breathed Duke basketball. I don't expect there to be much of a drop-off there either because he's still going to have Coach K's players. He has every resource that Coach K had. Um and it's 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 Duke. It recruits itself. Yeah, and Duke does not have a, a intercollegiately competing JV team, but they have literally everything else that Hubert Davis was offered when he was at North Carolina. So I I predict that John Shire next year um, is going to have a lot of these same questions pointed at him that Hubert Davis had, and I think he's going to be a lot better prepared than we think he is because of what you just talked about and what we've been talking about. Um, yeah, it really is. It's a it, you know, hashtag for the brand, right? They need a Duke guy, a North Carolina guy to step up in these positions, just like in Michigan, in football, whenever they have a coaching search, they're looking for hashtag a Michigan man. The same kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. You, you need to understand not only the university, but the area of which you're needing to put a fence around in recruiting. You need to be able to lock down your home state. You need guys who have the ties there um, first and foremost, and just folks who understand, uh, like you said, you know, the Carolina way. Yeah. You just need people who understand your cultural philosophy that you have worked so hard building over the last 50, 60 years in some cases uh, so that it doesn't fall off just because you hand it to a, I don't know, uh, Someone like Nate Oates. I'm not saying Nate Oates will let it fall off, but, you know, just a, a good basketball coach name, but is a complete outsider. I don't. I just right. don't see that they would ever do anything like that. Yeah, and it's a big gamble when you do things like that. Virginia made that gamble with Tony Bennett, somebody from way out west who no one had ever heard of uh, on the East Coast, and 10 years later it won them a championship. So so it really, it really you know, it can go one of two ways. Um, and I, I, I expect Duke is much, much better set for the future. And North Carolina has also shown they are much, much better set for life after their legendary coaches than most people are giving them credit for. And their athletic departments, uh, this will be the last thing I say, their athletic departments have just done a great job of protecting what they have built. Uh, I hope more athletic departments look at that just because of the way we have everything jump around and change and coaches leave and this and that. Duke and Carolina are shining examples of ways to just have continuity and and, and keep that consistency in your program. As much as I hate to say it, as much as I vomit a little bit in my mouth, they are the, they are the examples of what you should be doing as a, an athletic department. Yep, no doubt about that. As the horn sounds, 
And that'll bring our basketball talk to a close, our 2021-22 college basketball season finally over. Congrats to Kansas. Congrats to the South Carolina Gamecocks for the women's title. Uh, Don Staley also um, one of the best basketball coaches in the land, uh, in, in in the universe. Dude, just just how how cool is that woman? Dude? Like how cool <laughs> is Don Staley? Before we move on to football, like shouting out all her players, even the ones that don't get in the game on the podium while the whole crowd's watching, that was pretty cool. I mean, don't get me wrong, I. I don't root for that South Carolina team, but I root for anybody who plays UConn, and especially anybody <laughs> who who destroys UConn on a national stage. Uh, by the way, Gino still has not won a championship since he cut Candace Parker from the Olympic team. So that is true. Throwing that out there. That is true. So Mike Barlow at Sad Gamecock tweets: Not so sad when it comes to women's basketball. As we move into the second quarter. And we talk NFL, as we so often do here on The Right Hash, and that'll give us a chance to plug. Coming up next week, or actually this week, later this week, depending on when you listen to this show, we are going to have a full-on NFL draft special to kick off you know, that just that part of the offseason. The draft comes in less than three weeks. Uh, we're going to be ramping up our coverage, kind of going division by division, uh, team by team, maybe even prospect by prospect. And uh, talk about where people are going to land, who's going to trade up, who's going to trade down. Everything, dude, everything. We are going to cover it here on the right hash. Are we going to do mock drafts, Luke? We can do mock drafts. We can do... Or at least uh, the mock first round. Yeah, mock first round. I don't know if I could do all seven rounds because that would make my head explode. But definitely a mock first round. Um, you know, like, like I said, you know, we might look at it kind of division by division wise. Um, we, we, a lot of that's still up in the air, but I'm just saying we will have a lot of draft coverage moving forward here in the month of April. And that's going to start uh, next week, uh, middle of next week at some point. I'll uh, be on the lookout for that. If you have anything specifically you want us to cover or a prospect or uh, an opening on a team, shoot us a, a DM at us on Twitter, shoot us an email at the right hat, the right ash at gmail.com uh, so that we can include specifically into our breakdown. Yep, and we know that our listeners have a wide range of favorite teams throughout the NFL. We know we've got uh, some Lions fans that listen, got a a Vikings fan or two. Uh, I've got some Washington fans. Uh, We might even have a couple Cowboys fans out there. I might even talk some Cowboys if you guys want it. So so let us know. Let us know. I know that we have at least one other Jaguars fan. So, yeah, so so we we talked – the Jaguars have been very active uh, in free agency. Um, Very active in – we'll see how active they are in the draft. Um, going into the first year Doug Peterson regime. Uh, but Alex, actually, this is actually a good place to start because I just saw a tweet that was kind of recapping who um, who the Jaguars have signed. And it's a laundry list of guys and all that money is making my, my eyes bug out. But like, who do you think when the dust all settles is going to be the most valuable or the couple most valuable pickups that the Jaguars have, have acquired this offseason? I think the one that nobody's really talking about is Foye Aluakon. Um, he's the NFL's leading tackler uh, last year in Atlanta. Um, uh, he's going to go. He's going to slot in um, into that. Sad to say that Miles Jack role. Um, it, Mike Caldwell, um, the defensive coordinator that we brought in from Tampa Bay, uh, coach Devin White, coached. Uh, uh, Shaq Barrett there as well. Um, and he's getting his hands on a really, really young, promising elite linebacker. Um, a little bit more of an old school linebacker where this guy is just a, 
He he reminds me of Terry Tate office linebacker. If you ever watched <laughs> those back in the day, yes. <laughs> that, that's that's kind of like the vibe I get off of him. Is he is just flying around throwing his shoulder into people. Um, a lot of fun to watch. I don't know if anyone watched the uh, or remembers the Atlanta Falcons Cowboys game from early in the season, but the Cowboys had like three fumbles in a matter of a couple of drives. All three were for, forced by Foyer Haluakon. Uh, that the guy is just he is like. He's like Derrick Henry at linebacker, and it's a perfect ad because we are in that division where we do need a little bit more run defense than maybe the AFC West because we have to deal with Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry in our division. And I think we needed to make that move away from having such a vast or not that we had a vast secondary the last couple of years, but it had been a big part of the the blueprint the Jags had built. Um, the last decade or so moving away from that and going a little bit more of a seven man front, a little bit more traditional. It sounds like in order to combat what we have to deal with in the AFC South, especially with Matt Ryan being the quarterback in, you know, Indianapolis, I think his arm is probably seen better days. We have Ryan Tannehill with, Sounds like just A.J. Brown and Robert Woods right now as far as his passing options, so it's not like they're going to be lighting it up through the air. Um, so th- that that has been by far and away my favorite pickup, and nobody's really talking about it. I just don't think anybody really knows about him because he's on the Falcons. Yeah, I, that, that's a big part of it in the, in the NFL is like if your team's not successful or in a large market, a lot of times people aren't going to know who you are. Um, I think I think Oluwakon is going to going to shine for the Jaguars this year. Um, another pickup I like, and I'm biased is, is Brandon Sheriff. Um, if he can stay healthy, he's, he's going to help your run game a lot, a lot. I'll just say that we we spent a lot of money. Um, and folks will look at it and say, well, they didn't get any premier guys. And, uh, I'd say foyer is a premier guy. Sheriff is a premier guy. Um, Kirk has the has the potential to be. I think he has been with a, a head case of a quarterback the last th- two or three years and uh, has not been given the opportunity. Uh, th- his problem is he has a lot of – he has a decent amount of drops. Um, hopefully we can get that worked out because that was the Jaguars wide receiving core uh, MO last year. But one thing that a lot of folks aren't talking about either is the addition of Evan Ingram with a young quarterback who – is going to be reliant, I think, on a tight end. Um, and Evan Ingram is one of my favorite uh, pass-catching tight ends in the NFL. I think he gets a bad rep just because he plays in New York and they're always injury-ridden and can't really figure out what they're doing at quarterback. Um, he had stone hands his rookie year, but uh, I like where he's slotted in. He's kind of one of those hybrid, could almost just be a, a full-time wide receiver type of tight end. Um, really interested to see how he plays with uh, with Trevor Lawrence, because I think that is going to be the big connection that we've picked up for Trevor this offseason. Uh, Zay Jones is great. Christian Kirk is great. Um, you know, uh, bringing back in Lacan Treadwell, I liked for depth. I uh, thought he had a really nice end of the season, but um, Evan Ingram is who I'm looking at is going to be the most impactful year one offensive pickup for the Jaguars. And I'll tell you, Sheriff, I'll say Sheriff too. I'll tell you a guy Evan Ingram reminds me of is Jordan Reed. Uh, kind of a, yeah. a not yeah. I don't want to say smaller, but like a a faster, kind of maybe not quite as bulky uh, tight end who 
can get up, you know, he can get up and make contested catches. He he's a better route runner than I think most tight ends are. Um, and he's he's a the kind of guy that you you look for on third down. I remember when Washington had Jordan Reed, or every third down and more than like five yards, he was the primary target. He's kind of that that guy who you just go to when you need that five or six yards to keep the chains moving. Um, and, and I, I think getting out of New York was big for him because he never really quite fit there. And he had, you know, he had an over the hill Eli Manning as his quarterback for the, his first couple of years. And then he had an absolutely God awful Daniel Jones as his quarterback for the, the next couple of years. And now he finally gets with a guy who I, I'm this, to me, this is almost like a second rookie year for Trevor Lawrence because he was yes. playing, he was playing with urban Meyer and we don't even have to go into how much of a debacle that was anymore. Um, but it's almost like Trevor Lawrence is starting from scratch this year, and he gets Travis Etienne back. Yeah, you're, you're you're spot on. I mean, we get Travis Etienne back, but this is a true rookie year for him. We haven't seen him play yet. Um, I saw someone had like a, a a power rankings of AFC running backs and had Travis Etienne tenth above like a couple of guys who have played before, and I was like, uh. I have a lot of faith in Travis Etienne. Do not give me wrong, but the guy has not played a down of football yet. I just don't. I can, you can't power rank someone who hasn't played in the league. Um, I, I think he's going to do great, but he's coming off that list rank uh, injury. Uh, hopefully, we'll get James Robinson back in the flow uh, towards the midpoint of the season. Um, I just hope he's okay. I think the Jaguars probably draft a running back anyway. Um, I think I think a lot of teams are going to start doing that instead of paying their running backs. They're just going to draft and replace them. So definitely, um, I hate it. Hate it for James Robinson that hit. I mean, his time in Jacksonville may already be over if Travis Etienne proves competent. Just because no one's going to spend money on running backs anymore, really. Um, I, I'm excited for the season. I agree with you, though. This is absolutely rookie year 2.0 for Trevor Lawrence. Um, Another guy I would just want to mention who's still on the roster that I think folks are forgetting to is Dan Arnold, who is going to pair nicely with Evan Ingram. Going to have two very competent, uh, a nice short yardage third down machine in Dan Arnold and that nice, you know, seam stretcher in Evan Ingram. I, I, I like Doug Peterson's offenses too. Doug Peterson historically has loved using tight ends. Think Zach Ertz, Trey Burton. Um, I, I, I'm excited to see what he does with this. Uh, as a Jaguars fan who was a little bit meh on the Peterson hire just because I thought we could have got Byron Leftwich, um, I'm still excited to see what Doug Peterson does with a lot of these weapons we brought in. Um, you look at them on paper, and the 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 one and two deep doesn't look doesn't look as bad um, as you as you might think it would after a season of Urban Meyer. Yeah, and Dan Arnold a much better run blocker too uh, yeah. than than Evan Ingram is. I think I think that's he'll he'll be the primary tight end in that role um, in the offense. Um, but back to your point about paying and drafting, I was just going to say I was going to flip this back to you and ask you the same question about uh, the Commanders in the offseason and you know who they've picked up. I know they haven't been as active as the Jaguars. Uh, seems like they're pinching their pennies to hopefully be able to keep Terry McLaurin in the DMV. But what what have been your favorite tr maybe transactions? Obviously, the Wentz uh, acquisition is the big one, but um, what has been your favorite transaction? It could be a release or it could be an ad. How have you just thought they've done this offseason so far? All right, there's a, there's a couple I, I want to mention here. Um, and then I have 
uh, I have a um, another another thing uh, to mention that uh, just came up in the NFL, uh, like the uh, in the past couple of days uh, to to quickly do it. But to the Commanders, um, I love that we've brought back JD McKissick. Uh, he was going to go to Buffalo, and then we at the eleventh hour uh, stole him back. Um, and we also have re-signed Cam Sims, who was like our third or fourth wide receiver, but he's yep. great on special teams. Uh, he's been with the team since 2018, signed as an undrafted free agent, uh, made the roster through hard work in the preseason, and has stuck around. Um, he's he's good for you know a couple good circus catches a year, three, four touchdowns a year. Uh, he, he's a veteran guy who understands the system. Uh, his one-year million-dollar extension. Um, as far as bringing in people from outside, um, <clears throat> the best – free agent signing we've had really one of the only ones has been Andrew Norwell, who was with Jacksonville last year. Um, he was worth two years worth about a, a million and 0.7 million guaranteed. Uh, he's going to be replacing, uh, I think either Brandon Sheriff or Eric flowers, depending on if we want to put him on the left or the right, but he's a guy who has played with Ron Rivera in Carolina. And that's something that Ron Rivera has been very big on is playing with guys who he is familiar with. Um, and not necessarily, guys he's coached, but also guys he's coached against. And, and a guy who we're going to look up to to uh, fill the shoes of Flowers or Sheriff is Wes Schweitzer, who played for the Falcons when Rivera was the coach in Carolina. We picked him up when Rivera came to be our coach. And I was like, this guy could contribute because I think Rivera knows something we don't because he's coached against him so many times. And Schweitzer is a guy we've kind of thrust into the forefront and is going to probably be the right guard starter this year. Um, and so not a free agent, but free agent moves that have led these players to being kind of in the spotlight now. Uh, but Cam Sims, I think if you made me pick one is probably my favorite transaction. I think it's going to be a really underrated, uh, re-signing and he's a really underappreciated player, uh, even by Washington fans. Uh, agreed. And the, the Norwell one is a, uh, a great pickup to hit on as well, because he was, he made the pro bowl the two years before the Jaguars signed him off of the Panthers team that Ron Rivera um, had just gotten fired off of. So um, that definitely a, a nice connection there. We, it does feel like uh, Ron Rivera is using that strategy a little bit more um, than some other teams. He's surrounding himself with a little bit more familiarity uh, which, I mean, it makes sense having been a previous, he- a very recent head coach and a successful head coach at that. Um, what, one of the signings that I liked um, you guys made also, uh, I believe, had some Ron Rivera experience. Maybe it was drafted by him. Um, F.A. Obata. Yeah. Uh, n- nice defensive line depth with losing Ioannidis. He doesn't play necessarily the same interior way that Ioannidis would, but, um, you know, with, with Chase Young and just some of the defensive line injuries that Washington encountered last year. F.A. Obata is just great defensive depth. And he, he's he's still young. I mean, he's 29. He's kind of in that, you know, he, he was in that, like, he's one of those international guys. So their, their ages aren't exactly kind of on the same timeline as everyone who grows up here and is, you know, training for the sport every day of their entire life. Um, I like him a lot. I think, I think he's a very uh, slept on, player i i think he's very similar to montez sweat personally yeah and that that may be like kind of foreshadowing you know washington's not going to be able to keep every single player they have right now yeah. on their defensive line uh so somebody's going to be the odd man out uh, jonathan allen's locked down montez sweat and deron Payne and chase young are not 
So it's it's going to be tough to see them keeping all of those guys. And another guy that Washington brought back from last year who really really played better in the second half of the season is Bobby McCain uh, in the, in the the back end of the defense. Um, I, I like that re-signing too. Uh, he and, and Kendall Fuller and Cam Curl all kind of have this little chemistry. They, they play well together. I mean, and Washington is a team that has been uh, projected to take a uh, a defensive back in the in the, set, the first round. You have Sauce Gardner is still there. Uh, we like Sauce Gardner a lot. If Derek Stingley Jr. is still there, we, we like him a lot too. Uh, so so I don't think Washington is done kind of building the back end of this defense. Me and my Bobby McCain. <laughs> Bobby McCain. Yeah, he I, he had a couple of pick sixes last year. Uh, so I, I liked that. Yeah, not not as – you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm looking here at the uh, Washington Commanders transactions list for 2022, and it doesn't list the trade for <laughs> Carson Wentz. But yeah. That, that also happened. Um, uh, we, I think we'll, we'll probably touch on that in our next segment here in just a minute. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I and I don't think um, I don't think we'll even really see much more from the Commanders uh, because, like you said, the McLaurin extension is priority number one. They just let DeAndre Carter walk, who was a good receiver and return man. He's with the Chargers yeah. now. But but the the reality is, when you're trying to lock down a star player, there is going to be some collateral damage. I mean, I, it's it's I, just I, the truth. And going back to I think the very first one that you pointed out. Winning, winning that recruiting battle essentially between Buffalo, I think just it's it's a it's a nice signal that things are at least okay in Washington. Like guys aren't dying to get out of there, if that makes sense. Um, the, the the culture seems relatively okay amidst the investigations and Dan Snyder and the name change and everything that's going on. Seems like Ron Rivera is keeping those guys level headed, down to earth, good spirits. They're making good transactions and. Like I said, essentially winning a recruiting battle against the Buffalo Bills for J.D. McKissick, who would have slotted right in there and I thought fit into their uh, uh, offense very well in Buffalo. So that that was a big win for Washington in the offseason so far. Yeah, and I was I was even happy for McKissick. I was like, man, that's a great place for him to land. Like, yeah. he he landed on his feet, and and for all the crap people give Washington, it's like, oh, nobody wants to play there. It's you know that's that's a media driven narrative that has been proven wrong. Uh, because, you know, for, you know, J.D., you just said it, recruiting, like a college recruiting battle. J.D. McKissick chose to stay in Washington over Buffalo, who's offering him the same thing. Yeah. So Washington, I, I know, I'm, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to get too optimistic here, but uh, but look at, looking towards this season, <laughs> I, I like that we, I like that we have a lot of the guys that I liked that were on the team last year, because there have been off seasons where we've let guys go that I've really liked, like Pierre Garcon, Deshaun Jackson, and it has, they have been worse off because of that. Yeah, absolutely. As there's a whistle, a new, a, a new sound effect, a whistle, and that means it's the two minute warning. We have two minutes left in our second quarter and it's time to display a new segment, which we've been talking about this segment. We've been trying to figure out how to work it into the right hash, and we're going to give it a shot here. So give it, give us some feedback on what you think, um, what you think of this new segment, how you think we can tweak it, what you liked, what you didn't like. And without further ado, this segment is called Hashing It Out as we run a two-minute drill toward the end of our second quarter. We're going to hash it out, and our first question here, and this is designed to be just kind of a quick little argument to make you think here at the end of the second quarter. And we're going to hash it out. And our first subject is, since we've been talking about the Washington Commanders, 
how many wins will the Commanders take home this 2022 season? Over or under eight? Alex, what do you think? You have one minute. Yeah, um, not to not not to sound pessimistic, um, but I'm I am going to take the under. Um, sim, and it's it's really a, a pretty simple reason why. I think if you remove the quarterback position from these two teams and compare the roster for the Colts and the roster for the Redskins, or the Commanders. Sorry, that's still going to be hard to buck. Yeah, the Redskins, <laughs> uh, the the Commanders. Um, if you look at those two rosters, I like the Colts roster better. Um, offensively, defensively, kind of just all around. Um, I also think the Colts play in an easier division, getting four games against the Texans and the Jaguars every year. And Carson went still only won nine games with them. And we're setting the over-under at eight for the Redskins, the Commanders. I just think it's going to come under. All right. There's Alex's hashing it out. Over under eight wins for the Washington Commanders this year. I'm taking the over, and here's the reason why. It's the schedule. You just mentioned it. The AFC South, your Jacksonville Jaguars come to FedEx Field this year. The We play the Houston Texans, and we also play teams like the Falcons and the Browns and the Bears and the Lions and the Vikings. Those are a lot of wins, man. Those are a lot of potential wins on the table, and I think Washington finally has – the the roster that can beat some of these inferior teams if they just play well. There's a, not a lot of teams on the roster or on the schedule that scare me this year. And I think that the toughest games are going to be in the division. And of course the Packers come to FedEx field, but that game's at home. Who knows what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? Washington, if they steal a couple wins in the division, which they will, they're going to finish with more than eight wins and make the playoffs. And that is my prediction for the Washington Commanders season in 2022. We've hashed it out. We have hashed it out. So let us know what you think about that little segment as the horn sounds. We ran a little two-minute drill there as we have reached halftime. On the right hash, we'd like to say thank you to our sponsors, Slim Sweets, Earl Sturdivant Down in Anson, North Carolina. Check him out on Facebook, Instagram, Slim Sweets, and Speedy Custom Sneakers, Miles Speed. Oh, so heartbreaking for him with his beloved North Carolina Tar Heels coming up short, uh, but he's still working hard on those sneakers and working hard toward his college degree in mechanical engineering, which is way, way above anything that you or I could have done. So, so well done, Miles. Uh, impending congratulations to you there. Um, once again, halftime on the right hash. Uh, let us know what you thought of that hash it out segment, because that's something that we've been trying to implement. Um, and we, we'd like some feedback on that, too. So. Hey Luke. Speaking yeah. of Anson, speaking of Anson, I got a joke for you here today. Sure. What's worse than ants in your pants? I don't know, Alex. What's worse? Uncles. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be halftime. Now we just tell stupid jokes. <laughs> just, <laughs> so it's a bridge joke. the gap between <laughs> second and third quarters. But we don't want to waste too much time here in the locker room because we're ready to head out for the third quarter. Let's do and it. And we are heading back into the grinder. And I'm excited right. about this one because we get to talk more about the Washington Commanders, specifically about a man who has been kind of the face of the franchise for the last three years. Yeah. Uh, and that is Terry McLaurin. And this is, uh, I think you, you sent this to me, what, on Wednesday when I was, I was on a boat fishing? Um, yeah. Who is, who is Terry McLaurin most similar to as a receiver? And it was a thought-provoking discussion, and I thought we should take it here to the right hash. And, and lo and behold, I, as I was doing my show prep, I was like, you know what? 
this deserves its own segment. We should uh, we should talk about who we think Terry McLaurin is most like as a wide receiver. And Alex, the first guy you came up with, and really, the, I think you think the, the only comparison is Devontae Adams in, in within the game today. Within the game today, uh, yeah, just from uh, a, a role perspective, as far as a guy who makes his money across the middle of the field. Don't get me wrong. We've seen Terry McLaurin take bombs to the house before. He's run flies. He's caught deep balls. So does Devontae Adams. But where Devontae Adams makes his money is on those nine-yard slant routes on third down to pick up a first down for Aaron Rodgers. And that, that it's like the same thing I see with Terry McLaurin. They just have like that same – There, you, you can't stop them if they're going across the middle. And I've come up with, uh, I think, my comparison historically for Terry. It's not. It's going to sound a little bit strange because he's not as <laughs> maybe roided out as this guy. But, <laughs> um, the, the the style and the role that he plays reminds me very, very much of Michael Irvin when he was on the Cowboys with Troy Aikman. Um, just that physical across the middle. Or not, not exclusively across the middle, but the guy who is not afraid to go there, and you're almost afraid if he does. That those will be my two kind of comparisons. I'm interested to hear what yours are. So I, one one comparison that actually you you brought up first, but I really liked was Adam Thielen. I mean, yeah. that's because of the route running and the reliability, kind of the 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 R R and R, like route running reliability uh, of Terry McLaurin. He he. You describe the reliability, but Terry is is as precise of a route runner as any receiver in the NFL, and he's a he's a smaller guy. He's he's not not a big dude. He's not one of those tall Calvin Johnson like receivers who's going to go up and moss people all the time. But he's a guy who just gets open, like he's just always open, and that's because he's so great at running routes. And if you look at Adam Thielen, it's because he's so great at running routes. Adam Thielen is just always open. And that contributes to his reliability as a pass catcher for Kirk Cousins. You don't have to be bigger, stronger, or even smarter than the other guy. You just have to get open. And Terry McLaurin does that so often. Now, in terms of guys kind of who aren't playing anymore, there are a couple that I, I've 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 read read and I, I've bought. One of them is Torrey Holt because of his again the route running and the hands. Torrey Holt had some of the best hands. And coming over the middle, he was a guy who could take a big hit and hold on to the ball, too. Terry McLaurin is a guy, a guy like that. Um, and another one that uh, – the top one on Reddit, and I'm not sure if I agree with this one quite as much, but it is the top one on Reddit, is Reggie Wayne. Uh, and and mm. that's, that's that one is is good, but I'm, mm. not sure if, I'm not sure if that one hits quite as good as Torrey Holt or Adam Thielen. Okay, okay. I'm just going to say, as someone who was a Colts fan from the beginning of my NFL fandom until Peyton Manning retired, basically, um, that is a comparison I hadn't considered and makes a lot of sense, Luke. Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm going to defer to you I, here because you, were, had you have watched that. a lot of Reggie Wayne. I had not considered that, but yeah, they play... At, what, what makes a, a lot of sense about Reggie is they're built the same. He's not like that overly muscled type of receiver that goes across the middle, like the Michael Irvin I was talking about. Right. Um, he is definitely built like Reggie Wayne as well. That's a that's a heck of a comparison. Another one I was going to throw in there was, and, and maybe it's just not the same role, but they do have a lot of the same skills, and that's n- newly minted Stephon Diggs, uh, who is arguably, 
arguably the best route runner in the NFL. I think Terry McLaurin is is definitely in that that top three, top five conversation for route runners in the NFL with Stephon. Now, is is it just me, or is route running more of a valued uh, quality in in receivers nowadays than it was ten to twenty years ago? Yeah, man, separation. That's the name of the game these days, especially since you can't play defense. Separate, they can't grab you, they can't tackle you, nothing. Especially for these guys going across the middle. It's the only way to to stay alive is get separation and make sure no one's there to send you to the hospital on a slant. Now, here's where I think the Devontae Adams comparison still makes the most sense. It's because of the intangibles. It's because of what he means to the fan base and what, what the fan base would think if he... You know, went and played for another team. There are so many Packers fans out there, and some of them that I know personally who are like, I cannot believe we let that guy get away. Like, I cannot believe we let Devontae Adams play for another team. And I know that if, heaven forbid, Terry McLaurin gets to another team, there is going to be a large, large portion of this fan base that is going to be like, what the hell? I cannot believe we let that guy get away. And there, are, I think there are so few guys in the NFL you can say that about now that literally mean that much to the team they play for. Terry yeah. McLaurin is far and away the most popular player on the Washington Commanders. I can say that with yeah. absolute certainty. Yeah. If he goes to another team, there will be hell to pay. Yeah, I mean that. That uh, I, I I agree. Um, the one one interesting thing to point out, I, I guess, in the comparison to Devontae, uh, and what I'm interested to see um, this season is. We've only seen Devontae Adams play with Aaron Rodgers, a top five quarterback, maybe all time, definitely of our of our time. Um, and now he's going to go play with who I think is a really good quarterback in Derek Carr, but he's not going to have that same chemistry with, with Derek Carr as he did Aaron Rodgers. And I'm interested to see if his play, sac- his play suffers because he's not playing with an all-time great quarterback. That's something that's always been so impressive to me about Terry McLaurin is he has – put his numbers up. He has done his part with not great quarterback help, you know, not, not to throw shade at the guys he's played with. I think they've done well with what they had, but let's call a spade a spade. He hasn't had, uh, he, he hasn't even had a best quarterback in his division, much less a, a pro Bowl, all pro MVP caliber guy like Devonte has. Yeah. Let's just go through the guys through since 2019, his rookie season, he's had throwing in the ball case Keenum, Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, Kyle Allen, Ryan Fitzpatrick, a little bit. Um, shoot, Taylor Heineke. I, I, Taylor Heineke. I was like, I know I was forgetting. So he's got he's had six different guys throw him the ball through Garrett Gilbert for one game. <laughs> Seven different go. guys throw him the ball through um, <clears throat> through three seasons. You just you just got to feel you got to think if he can develop some kind of chemistry with Carson Wentz and Carson Wentz can stay healthy. I mean that's that's a totally different discussion. Uh, but if Carson Wentz can you know forge a relationship with Terry McLaurin and with Terry is by all accounts one of the easiest dudes to get along with in the NFL. Like it's not like he's a diva like Antonio Brown. If he was, he probably wouldn't be in Washington anymore. If that can happen, I mean you 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 got to think about the possibilities of having a full season of Terry McLaurin with a competent, if unspectacular, quarterback throwing him the ball. And just listen to his stats three three years in. Um, he has played in 46 games, started every single game he's been healthy his entire career, um, 220 receptions, 
three just over the three thousand yard mark. Averages fourteen yards a reception, sixteen touchdowns, a hundred and forty one first downs. Um, he's going almost five catches a game, almost seventy yards a game, uh, over a sixty percent catch rate. Um, he got a couple of rushes to his name too. Uh, big one of the big things. He's only got one fumble his entire career, um, and. He's doing all that with the list of characters at quarterback that you just named. And and without another really feasible receiving option to take some heat away from him. Like he is doing this against double teams and the other team's best coverage player as a, a, a first, second, and third year guy with pretty much no advanced quarterback on the on the team. It's just when you when you take a look at what Terry McLaurin has done, I just don't think he gets anywhere near as much credit as he should. No, he doesn't. And that's because of the team he plays for. And, yeah. and you know, kind of rightfully so, because Washington hasn't done a damn thing. They haven't won sure. a playoff game in 17 years. So, so, you know, why should he, which is his uniform number, by the way, uh, an- sure. a- another comparison. I'm, I'm actually kind of reading this Reddit thread and I'm, I'm really intrigued because it's a, uh, it's, it's a lot of guys that I've kind of forgot play in the NFL. And, and one, one of the names that's kind of up there is, is Anquan Bolden. Another another uh, comparison to Terry McLaurin, Anquan Bolden, who was a kind of a he was he was a smaller guy, six foot one, two hundred twenty, uh, who just got open all the time and was like that thorn in your opponent's side. Um, and yeah, he played for let's see, he played for three different teams, four different teams in his career, and he stayed reliable throughout the end of his career. Um, Anquan Bolden targeted. 1,700, excuse me, 1,076 receptions on 1,737 total targets, 13,779 yards, a total of 82 touchdowns in 13 seasons. So that's like, averages like, what, seven, eight touchdowns a year. Those are Terry McLaurin numbers right there. Yeah, they're really close. Um, I I think Anquan's probably a little bit more of like a, 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 a take his weight to the other team type of player. Like, I feel like he just has a little bit more of that bowling ball mentality. Um, and T- Terry rightfully so um, has done, a, I think a pretty good job of staying healthy um, for the most part. He played all, you know, 17 games last year, 15 the year before 14, his first year. Um, he stayed pretty healthy. Uh, I like Anquan Bolden. Uh, it it, it kind of, it, it sucks because one of the comparisons I want to make is just going to get completely laughed out of the room because of who it is. But his his play style and his his build. Wait, wait! Don't tell me, Antonio Brown. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, no. 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 Way 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 better. Um, <laughs> J- Jerry Rice. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. That there's uh, I I just see it now. So of so, so so what would you say to somebody who laughed at you? by saying that well i would say uh so stipulated like i understand laughing at me for comparing (laughs) terry mclaurin to the greatest receiver that's ever played the in the nfl but um well what i would say to someone who laughed is i'm just telling you based on a role based on his physical makeup based on how he plays he he visually looks like jerry rice now is he running up a mountain every single day, uphill both ways, like Jerry Rice did back in the day? Uh, probably not. Um, but it, the comparison's there. The comparison's also there probably for T.O. Um, T.O.'s a little bit bigger, but again, same play style. And it's 
the, the, the reason I brought it up initially to Luke is I kind of came to this conclusion, like, holy crap, this, this Jerry Rice, Reggie Wayne, Terrell, like that, all the receivers that we're naming from 2000s and, and earlier are vanishing from the NFL. Devontae Adams and Terry McLaurin were the only two I could come up with that really played that style. And then I kind of spitballed. We, we threw Thielen out there. Um, I think you had a couple that you threw out there as well that were yeah, in the I'm ballpark. To, I'm trying but, to find the conversation now. Well, well, we had some guys who were in the ballpark, but just no one doing what Terry McLaurin and Devontae are doing. As far, I mean, Allen Robinson kind of until last year where just kind of the wheels fell off of everything. Um, but he was a guy who was big receptions across the middle kind of guy too. Um, but there, it's, it's just what we've talked about how that running back position is kind of morphing and, and fading away. We're starting to see that with the big physical receiver types as well. Um, but that that's kind of where the, the discussion spurned uh, initially this week. And I, I, I now, now I'm remembering somebody I mentioned that I, I've not mentioned up until now. Keenan Allen. Yeah, just just another another one of those reliable guys who is just always open. You can line him up anywhere on the field, and he'll get open. Uh, pr- very precise route runner, um, and just another one of those guys that you go to when you need a big catch. Not necessarily a big play, but a big catch, like a third, you know, a third and four where you really need to move the sticks. You're going for Keenan Allen. You know, you're yeah. going for Terry McLaurin. You're going for Adam Thielen. You're going for Devontae Adams. They're the guys. They're the guys who you know they're going to on third down and that you cannot stop them from going to on third down. Right. It's like everyone in the gym knows MJ is taking the shot, but you still MJ makes the shot. Yeah. Exact it, it, same kind of mentality. Exact, exact concepts. Yeah. Terry McLaurin is not Michael Jordan for anyone out there who is <laughs> re- re- ready to get triggered. We're not sucking that <laughs> Who does that make LeBron? <laughs> uh, Devontae Adams. Yeah, I guess so. Um, we are, we're in the grinder, uh, Terry McLaurin. Um, I, I am still very confident that Terry McLaurin will sign to a long-term deal with the Washington Commanders. Uh, if if you look at this this team's track record, they tend to wait until a little bit longer, a little bit later in the offseason to knock down to nail down these players. Jonathan Allen's extension wasn't till July. You know, I think it's it's we're looking at that mid to late July time frame, I think, as when we're gonna gonna sign this extension. But looking like somewhere 21, 22, 23 million a year. Um, but one thing is true that every the longer they wait, the 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 higher the price gets. Uh, yeah, so especially if, wait, if they wait for Debo to sign a new deal, that could hurt them as well. Because I imagine Terry's got to get paid more than Debo, right? As much I, as I like Debo, you'd think, and, and that's and that's that's another question I had, and maybe we'll maybe we'll kind of tackle this on on a future show uh, because it, it did just kind of come up yesterday or in the last couple of days when we were kind of in the middle of planning for this episode. But Debo deleting his uh, deleting his. Instagram and stuff ties to the Niners. And it's almost like this is the new way to hold out. Oh, Luke, Luke, Luke. Did you, I don't know if you saw Cordero Patterson changed his profile picture to a picture of Debo Samuel in an Atlanta Falcons Jersey. (laughs) Ooh, All right. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I, I I texted you something last night and I don't think we got to talk about it. Panthers offer 49ers Christian McCaffrey for Debo Samuel straight up. Who says no? Uh, no, and, and I read that. I was like, I was like, we can work this in. I mean, this is almost like the shape that comes out, or you know, the, the kind of the the keef at the bottom of the grinder right now. Like this yeah. is 
this is like the little extra discussion here at the end of the grinder. We're done ter- talking about Terry McLaurin. We're not quite ready to move on to baseball yet, but we this is something we did talk about briefly, yeah. and and it's worth mentioning here at the end of the third quarter uh, as we wrap up our football talk. McCaffrey played at yeah. Stanford. Debo yeah. played at South Carolina. Geographically makes sense. Both guys, I think, are just looking for a new destination. Both guys probably looking for a new contract here very shortly. I know Debo is. Um, and I, I, I think both teams will do well just to get a new superstar that they have a fresh start with. But will would I mean would San Francisco go for that with with Christian McCaffrey's injury history? <laughs> well, I mean, probably. It, maybe I mean it's probably the reason they're not paying Debo is his injury history. They're not ready to commit to this one year that he's put on paper versus the two others that he's been injured for. So, right. Uh, but that, I think that's where I'm almost saying it's still even because they've both been injured for two major seasons. Um, but both of them have had MVP caliber seasons. Both of them do roughly the same thing, um, especially with what they were doing with Debo at the end of the season. Very, very much similar things. Um, and it just seems like it would make almost just sense to do a one-for-one. One. Uh, maybe you don't get as much versatility out of Christian McCaffrey as you might with Debo, but you get a better running back out of Christian McCaffrey and you, you get someone who you can pair with Trey Lance for the, the foreseeable future. Yeah. I mean, he can have a similar relationship with Trey Lance that he did with Cam Newton, you know, cause Trey Lance yeah. is going to run a similar type of offense. Exactly. But I just, you know, Debo Samuel, the, the thing to me that tripped me out about this was the, what I read. And I don't know if these words came out of Debo's mouth or not, or his agent's mouth or someone else's mouth, but him wanting to be the highest paid non-quarterback in the league. Yep. You've got to prove you can stay healthy and produce like this for more than one season before you can have that honor. I, I, I think for from the fans' perspective, you do. But uh, in the NFL, he can say that because he was last year. Yeah. I, I, I think concrete, he was the best non-quarterback in football last year. Just that meant... I mean, there's a lot of guys who played really well last year. Jonathan Taylor had an extremely good season last year as well. Um, you could make a case for Jonathan Taylor as having the best non-quarterback season last year as well. But, you know, he was sitting home while everyone else is playing in the playoffs. Uh, I I could say it's Debo, but the, the fact of the matter is he's got that injury history. Who's going to pay him Tyreek Hill money? Tyreek Hill's not going to be playing. Maybe he'll be playing running back, but he doesn't have the injury history that Debo does. Neither does Devontae Adams. Stephon Diggs, all these guys who are getting paid don't have the injury history that Debo does. And Debo's going to be playing more running back. And, uh, uh, you know, just because of that nature, he's going to be exposed to more injuries. Yeah, and you have to think about guys who aren't in the league yet. As we, you know, we're moving closer to the draft. We're going to be talking a lot about the draft here in the next couple weeks on the right hash. And, And one of the things I saw on Twitter actually this morning was, Debo Samuel has to be careful because he was the only Debo Samuel in his draft, but now there are 15 Debo Samuels coming up yep. out of this draft. So as and next week when we talk about uh, in, in our draft special, we might talk about some guys who could be the next Debo Samuel or could be, you know, could if de- replace Debo Samuel in San Francisco if this craziness comes to pass and he really can't agree on them on contract terms. So stay tuned for that little bit of a preview on what's to come on the right hash, but a new development definitely in the offseason, just another one featuring one of the best players in the league. Yeah, I'm, it, it seems like we were having a similar conversation about four years ago when Tyreek Hill burst onto the scene, and now we see all these Mecole Hardman, you know, 
the, those those types of fast receivers. Maybe they were all inspired by Tavon Austin back originally, but <laughs> Tyreek Hill has definitely put that speedster wide receiver front and center of the NFL. Him and Antonio Brown, I guess, kind of hand in hand. Yeah, it's like it's like if Dante Hall ever got to play offense. You know, remember watching Dante Hall return man. kicks and being like, man, if this guy just yes. played offense, like they'd be unstoppable. And oh, lo and behold, now you've got dozens of Dante Halls lining up every play, and and I I love that. Imagine, imagine you had Devin Hester playing in modern NFL. Yep. That's a name, dude. Dante, that's a name, man. Dante Hall. Oh, man. I want I think I might go watch Dante Hall highlights after we get done with this show as there the horn go. sounds on our third quarter. And we wrap up our bulk of our, uh, our, our football talk here on the right hash. Once again, shout out to Slim Sweet Speedy Custom Sneakers. Shout out to Zach Burhans for our voiceover at the beginning. But... It's April, and that doesn't just mean the NFL draft. It also means baseball, as I think the Braves are having their ring ceremony today. Uh, that That's pretty cool. Uh, split the first two games with uh, with Cincinnati to open the year. Major League Baseball's back. Uh, we didn't think it would be back. We didn't really talk a whole lot about it over the last couple months because, well, we didn't think there would be a season. Uh, we've talked a lot of college ball, though, and uh, we'll, we'll start here in the SEC uh, bad news for the, for the Georgia Bulldogs. They did beat South Carolina last night, three to two, coming from behind in the ninth inning uh, to steal that one in Columbia. But Jonathan Cannon going down with an injury uh, kind of tweaked something. They, they don't really give a ton of information, but they, he tweaked something while working out uh, during the week. Uh, mm. It wasn't even throwing off the mound. <laughs> Jonathan Cannon was the heart and soul of this pitching staff. Uh, he's out for this week. Uh, we, they they don't really know when he's going to come back. But for a, a Georgia team in the SEC. Uh, that has had a lot of injuries with pitching this year. Just losing your ace on top of that, uh, that, that, that really sucks. And, you know, prop, props to the Bulldogs for squeezing one, that one out at South Carolina uh, next year. But with, with teams like, you know, uh, Texas A&M, uh, teams like Tennessee on the schedule, Alabama is on the schedule. They're playing great baseball now. You've got some teams who can really hit the ball. We go to LSU this year. And, uh, you know, you need all your pitching healthy for that. Yeah, I'm not sure George is going to win a whole lot of series without him. Um, no, we're there. I mean, they're not. I mean, <laughs> they're, 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 not. they're not with him right now. So I, I know they're not going to win many without him. Um, he, he, he's, he's the type of arm that, that takes a, a, an average SEC team to postseason play and puts you in the, in the dance, you know, get, get you your lottery ticket. Maybe you get hot in the postseason. Um, but I don't think Georgia gets there without Cannon. So ho- hopefully for the SEC, um, he's back. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's, you know, a, he, he's he's what makes Georgia games watchable. To me, you know, someone who is a little bit fresher onto the college baseball scene, don't have feelers all over the place and, you know, depth and knowledge about every team. I like to watch Georgia when Cannon's throwing because he's, he, he's, he's a major league prospect. That guy is going to be – on the mound in the pros in the next five years. Um, I like watching him and hopefully he's back for the Tennessee series because I want to see a, a, a cannon versus chase Burns Friday night matchup. He is a Friday starter. When you hear the yep. term Friday starter, if you're not familiar with that term, you just I'll familiarize with it with you with it right now. Here's Jonathan Cannon's stats this year. Uh, he started, let's see, seven games. He's got a record of, well, the team has a record of six and one when he pitches. I think he has pitched enough to have an actual record of six and one. 
He has gone at least six innings in every one of his starts. His season high for strikeouts is 11 in a game against Lipscomb. He has 46 total strikeouts and get this, three walks. 46 strikeouts against three walks. He's a guy that goes out there, sets the tone, mows down opposing batters on a Friday night, and gives his team confidence for the rest of the series. And not having that is just, I can't even like describe how how tough that is for a pitching staff to make make that up. Uh, to, you can't do it. He's irreplaceable. Nolan Crisp did a great job last night uh, against South Carolina, but he just can't eat the innings that Jonathan Cannon can. You know, your Friday starter in the SEC, they should be able to go six, seven, eight innings regularly. Cannon yep. can. Not a lot of guys on this Georgia staff can otherwise. Uh, un- unless you have a bullpen like Tennessee who can come in. Ch- Chase Burns against Missouri last night gave up two in the first and just was not having a great game. Got pulled in the second. Uh, and we gave up one run the rest of the way because our bullpen is nasty. Unless you have a bullpen like that, you need your not just your Friday starter, you probably your Saturday starter as well to go five, six, seven innings so that you can keep your bullpen alive if you don't have the bullpen depth of a Tennessee or a Vanderbilt or an Arkansas. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the stats here. Georgia's got a their pitching staff, including the Cannon ERA, they're at 463, which is one of the highest in the SEC. Um, and that's including Cannon. Uh, so the rest of their the, their other pitchers are not are not hold are not pulling their weight like Cannon is. And some of the offense, the offense has been decent this year. They they've had good had good bats at Kentucky, and uh, they've they've had some good outings this year. Georgia Tech. Now you might be asking though, Georgia's right now seven and three in the SEC. Uh, they, they've won four in a row in conference, lost to Clemson four to three in the non-conference on Tuesday. That was a great game. Um, but well, Georgia's hitting the ball really well. And, and they've, you know, they've played, they've played probably not the best competition in the SEC yet. Uh, but even without the pitching playing well, Georgia's hitting has, has you know, the bats have been sounding off and it, baseball season is long in the SEC. You're not going to be putting it together all 50, 60 games. Sometimes you're going to need, you're pitching to carry you. Other times, you're going to need your hitting to carry you. And right now, the, the 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 Bulldogs have just been hitting the ball lights out. They've put up in the series against Florida, their last full SEC series. They put up 27 runs over three games. Now the offense has cooled off a little bit uh, with the three to or four to three loss to Clemson and the three to two win against South Carolina uh, on Friday night, uh, but. This is a team that has put double digits on the board half a dozen times this year. Uh, and I think it's so important when, you know, we're seeing this with Tennessee early in the season, the the hitting carried them before the pitching was healthy. Now you see the pitching all the way healthy. And, you know, that against Missouri last night, the pitching was, you know, kept Missouri at bay so Tennessee could come back and win that game. So, you, you know, you kind of see it with every team. They're not always going to have each component of their team functioning at a high level the whole season long, but they get by if at least one is functioning properly. Some other teams aren't quite as good, don't have that luxury. Yeah, and in the SEC, you have to you have to have a way to manufacture a win. You you have to have ways to, you know, flip flip a series from a loss to a win somehow with, you know, if it's not going to be hitting, it's not going to be pitching. You got to have guys who are uh, next level defensively, uh, or you know, speedsters on the base path, putting you in an advantageous uh, 
batting situations. And that that's more so where I've seen Georgia making its money. It's kind of in its almost like the special teams of baseball is doing a lot of the little things, you know, on the base pass uh, in the field. Um, and that that's, that's how they've managed to uh, stay – Keep keep their record where it is in, you know, in spite of their pitching. I'm looking at the the SEC pitching leaders. It's a list of the 31 top ERA leaders in the SEC. Jonathan Cannon is the only Georgia Bulldog on this list at one one dot seventy one. Uh, the last guy on here is Noah Hall, of South Carolina, with a six point two seven ERA, and there are no other Georgia Bulldogs on this list. So that just kind of gives you an idea of what they're dealing with once you get past. Uh, Jonathan Cannon in their in their rotation, and I'm I'm looking at the SEC standings right now. Tennessee far and away the class of the conference uh, with a ten and zero record. Georgia is the only other East Division team with a winning record right now at yep. seven and three. The Vandy boys have lost six in a row because they can't hit the ball. I mean, pitching's not everything. They lost um, to Auburn last night. Yeah, yeah, and actually their 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 studio where their games are done are a couple studios down from me, and after. After their game finished last night, the Vanderbilt producer came by my, my studio last night and was like, man, we just we just lost our sixth game in a row because we can't hit the damn ball. And I was like, I said just what I just said. I was like, yep, man, you guys have great pitching, but but that isn't everything. You just got to put it together. And now uh, Vandy, a half game ahead of Florida, who's four and seven, Kentucky four and seven, Missouri, South Carolina three and seven. These these are all gonna gonna change by the time time you know you probably catch this show with this series happening this weekend. But I think it's worth starting to talk about now. How many teams do we think the SEC gets into the tournament? Uh, because oh. it's a meat grinder of a conference, and there's there's still a lot of baseball to be played, but only four teams have a current over 500 record in the league. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Go to, so Georgia's had uh, the benefit of not having to play Tennessee yet, like Vanderbilt um, has. I think that's probably the difference there in the standings. Um, but I would say Tennessee's going to make the field – Vanderbilt's going to make the field. Florida probably makes the field. Arkansas makes the field. Ole Miss makes the field. Um, yeah, I mean, all, you know, it, it, the convention conventional wisdom says you go 500 in the SEC. You're probably in. Auburn, Auburn probably. LSU, based on their name, definitely will get in as long as they stick, you know, at least to like a – probably like a 66% winning percentage this year. Mississippi State's the surprise of the season to me so far. Um, they're sitting at seventeen and twelve, four or five in the in the conference, dead la- tied tied for dead last. Um, that they're a bit of a surprise to me. Somewhat so is Kentucky. But here's the thing: I think really the only team so far in this season that I would say is probably just out of contention in the SEC is South Carolina. Um, I yeah. just don't. I, I don't think they have the the squad this year. Um, that it there seems to be some. Uh, Behind the scenes rumors that Ray Tanner may be stepping down this year, uh, which would be a big win for that entire athletic department, to be honest with you. Uh, and m- maybe they can get that, you know, the, the old Michael Roth, South Carolina back-to-back national championship machine going again. That was a lot of fun, uh, as much as it sucked being a Tennessee fan. It was fun to watch. Um, I think they're probably the only ones who have solidified themselves as not making the field this year. I think everyone else is, they could they could still make it. The, the nice thing about the SEC is basically every weekend you have a chance to put something good on your resume. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I, I'm looking at teams. Most of these teams that do not have double-digit losses yet, I would say are probably pretty safe for 
contention in the tournament with the exception of Missouri. Missouri's 18 and nine overall, uh, but I, I don't think they're going to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, right now teams with double digit overall losses uh, on their schedule, Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, Alabama, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. So that's seven teams that have double-digit losses. Ole Ole Uh, Miss will make it. Yeah, Ole Miss I think will make it too. They were ranked one. They're not keeping them out. And like LSU probably going to hit a double-digit loss here in just a a day or two. So (laughs) I think they'll make it in just because of – they're a blue blood in baseball, for those of you who don't know. Um, They're they're one of the, the college baseball blue bloods. So they'll make it in there just for ratings alone or whatever. Yeah, and that can't be understated. They're, they're, we saw it last year. LSU was not deserving, and they got in mainly because yeah. it was Paul Minieri's last year, uh, but also because of that, you know, that, that, um, you know, the, what am I trying to say? The pull, you know, the pull that they have yeah. as a, <laughs> as the program that they are. Um, but, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about Tennessee, man, because they are, you know, they're number one in the country for a reason. But early on, that reason was offense, and now, that reason is pitching, you know, on top of that. Yeah, we're uh, go- going for the SEC record today for um, uh, best start to an SEC season. We tied the 1994 Florida team last night, uh, starting the season with 10 straight wins. Uh, we go for um, conference record and uh, 11th win in a row this, this uh, later this afternoon, um, game two of Missouri. Missouri, Missouri put up a good fight last night. They they had a lot of uh, a lot of folks. You know, I, I think there were some folks who kind of expected this. This is Tony Vitello's previous team. Um, this is who Tennessee was kind of afraid of in the offseason that Tony Vitello might go to because he's from the area. He played there. He was an assistant coach there. Um, but it's he he's staying here. He has said as much. He's like Tennessee gave me my start. That's where I'm staying. Uh, we, we got last week the uh, the commitment from the athletic department to uh, appoint $60 million for either a new stadium or a re- renovation of Lindsey Nelson, which would put them in like top five financial contributions to a stadium in the country. Uh, so that's, that's nice to hear. And then on top of all that, you have what's going on on the field. Um, these guys just find ways to win. We had an off night last night and scored eight. Um, it's just, it, it's, I, I I'm running out of words to describe this team, Luke. To be honest with you, because I mean, does it even need to be described? We have the we have a first round talent pitcher who is coming into like close games right now because we just don't have anywhere to put him in the rotation. Um, we got a guy who threw 104 twice last night on ESPN's uh, uh, speed gun, and I I just I run out of stuff to say. I I, I love to talk about him. I just. <laughs> I feel like I'm a broken record at this point. It's like, okay, Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, Drew Beam, Ben Joyce, and then the hitters, Mike Honcho, who is now one of my favorite things in, in baseball, Jordan Beck's new alter ego, Mike Honcho. Um, it, it's it's so much fun, man. It's so much fun. Really, this this team has one loss in yeah. on you know we're, it's April 9th. This team has one loss. That is like that is insane. That is and insane. I, and I think you texted me last night. You had said something to the effect of like they, they need to win this one, and I was I, I responded. And I'm like, yeah, kind of, but like all the the rest of the schedule is going to be an upset if we if we lose. There is no one else on our schedule who 
who is even going to should be in the same conversation as us, really. Um, we don't play Arkansas in the regular season. We've played Ole Miss and Vanderbilt, um, played South Carolina. I, I guess maybe that Florida series, will, I, I, Florida and Georgia. But even the Georgia series, I don't think is going to be that good. It's going to be Friday if, if uh, Cannon plays. Um, we play Mississippi State towards the end of the season. Maybe they find their stride. But th- there's just not another team that we play that I think even has a chance to take a series. Maybe a game, not a series. Yeah, I mean, you guys are you guys are basically staring the number one national seed right in the face in in at the in early April. I th- that's just that is remarkable. I shared with you uh, the the Massey ratings that came out too that have this team as the best baseball team that's ever played up to this point, and the difference between us and the the second team of all time is that's a that's a larger gap than it is from the second team to the fiftieth team. Whoa. It's uh, like just the the analytics of this team are insane. It, it's almost like having a minor league team. I feel like I feel like we just have nothing but my, every player on this team is going to be in in the minors or majors. Yeah, I mean, people. How you told you told me this yesterday? People were giving away Elton John tickets to, <laughs> to, to watch this team play the first game of a three game series. Like I saw, I saw, I saw exchanges happening on Twitter where people were trading Elton John tickets to Friday night Tennessee baseball tickets. I mean, Elton John's last tour, his last stop in Knoxville, Tennessee, ever was last night, and there were people trading Elton John tickets to go watch Tennessee play Missouri baseball in thirty degree weather. It snowed. That is not a joke. That is (laughs) not a joke. That actually happened. Yeah, go look at it on Twitter. There are transactions happening. There are messages and, and posts that people are trading. I mean, I, I saw Elton John three years ago, um, right before COVID hit, and my tickets were like 200 bucks a piece for nosebleeds. I can only imagine what it is now. Um, and they're trading those for Friday night games to play Missouri. Unbelievable. I, I, yeah. I don't agree with it. I mean, your priorities are your priorities. I'd go see Elton because... I'd go watch Tennessee play Missouri Saturday and Sunday, but that's just me. Yeah, I, I saw Elton uh, junior year of high school. He came to John Paul Jones Arena. It was a, it was actually it was a day it was a day the night before a UVA versus North Carolina football game at Scott Stadium. Um, so he uh, in between a couple of the songs, he was like he just kind of subtly says like "Good luck in the football game tomorrow," and the <laughs> whole crowd went crazy. And then he added, he's like, "Well, football to me means uh, something different than it means to you guys, but uh, yeah. but good luck anyway." And so that was that was always also fun. And then, and then UVA beat North Carolina the next day, so that that was awesome. Um, if you yeah. get a chance to go catch him on his last tour, any other stops, folks, go go do it. It's 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 his last one. He's not going to yeah. be around for another decade or so, and he's definitely not going to be playing much longer. So yeah, go see a legend. Well, that 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 would be a good subject to to leave on, but I do want to mention. <laughs> I, uh, I do want to mention Major League Baseball's here, man. We don't have to spend a ton of time here closing out the show, but I just want to, I just want to say how happy I am that we get to watch the Braves and you know the rest of Major League Baseball. Uh, Braves open their title defense. Um, it, we didn't think it was going to happen, so it, just the fact that it's on TV, I'm, I'm hey, really happy. And I. I it almost still hasn't hit for me because Ronald Acuna Jr. is not playing yet. We got that's, a, that's a, another week or two for him. So once once Ronnie is back, I will be kind of like leaned forward in my chair into these games a little bit more. But uh, yeah, it's just been fun, man, having it on TV in the background. Had I had the Vols baseball, Braves baseball, and the Hurricanes game all going at the same time yesterday. Uh, just a, a beautiful sight to behold in the football offseason. Um, 
Well, without ta- uh, very last thing I want to mention to you, Luke. This is kind of like not not a hash it out, but it's kind of like a little bit of an overtime, real quick. I I saw a note yesterday that Arch Manning scheduled his visit to go to Virginia yesterday. Um, all right, is is this possible? Well, here here's what here's all here's all I have to say. If you are a multimillionaire in Charlottesville, or you are an attractive woman in Charlottesville, go find Arch Manning. Because that's about the only way he's coming to UVA over over somewhere in the SEC. That's that's I, my personal thought. I never thought Peyton's wife would have more pull than Peyton. That that's where <laughs> Peyton's wife went. She went to that, UVA. Yeah, that is true. That, that is true. There is there is that. I still think uh, I still think that uh, Arch will be able to make a little bit more NIL money somewhere else. But uh, yeah, but he'll, who knows, man? He'll go to Texas. I just saw it yesterday. I'm like that. That's not a guy who is just scheduling visits to schedule visits. He is scheduling visits places that he has legitimate interest in um so for, first first and foremost i would be happy if he left the sec alone um i know he's not coming to tennessee we've already got our quarterback for that uh for that cycle and nico iamaliava um who was on campus today as well for the spring game um but yeah i i, I hope we get to see arch manning as a cavalier man i want to see him in the acc not the sec please I, I that would be cool i would i would really enjoy that um but Hey, what sucks is there used to be a frozen yogurt place called Arches in Charlottesville, and, oh. and, and, it, and it, cl- it closed several years ago. But that would have been the perfect nil deal. Open it back up. Anything yeah. to get this kid. That's there, what I'm man. saying, man. That's what I'm saying. Like, he, he he will bring Charlottesville unknown wealth, and Charlottesville already has that. Um, <laughs> True that. <laughs> like True it, that. <laughs> if you want to make more money on top of the money you already don't need, white people of Charlottesville, find a way to get Arch there. and with that we head to the end of our show by the way one more thing if you want to hear us talk about anything mlb related uh shoot us a message too because we know we have some we have some fans of other teams that not not just the the braves or the o's or the nets um that 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 the teams we root for uh we know we've got some tigers fans and and such out there so let us know um let us know if you want us to talk about anything mlb related our next show will be totally ml or excuse me totally nfl draft related uh, but for next Saturday, we'll be stockpiling subjects, and MLB season will be a, 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 a week older than it is now. So, so maybe there'll be something to talk about there. Um, but we'd like to hear your thoughts on what you want us to to mention on air. Any grinder subjects similar to the one with Terry McLaurin today, um, and just just general general sports sports stuff that you would like to hear uh, your hosts uh, host mention. Uh, we are a show of the people, so do not hesitate to reach out to us. Send us a message. Send us an email. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter. Let us know what you think of, of everything we've done today and what we plan to do uh, here on The Right Hash. So, Alex, uh, thanks thanks again for joining me here. Um, a lot of, lot of sports coming on. I know it's, it's not it, – the NCAA tournament's over. A lot of people check out kind of now and start doing things outside. That That's not us, man. We, we, we keep watching sports. And we got we got playoff basketball and hockey coming up. Lakers got eliminated. Didn't even have a chance to talk about that disappointment. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of stuff coming up that we we don't even cover in the quarters yet. But we'll probably add some hockey and NBA here as those playoffs start to heat up. Yep. So stay tuned. Keep an eye out for the uh, the, the playoff uh, NHL and NC or NHL and NBA playoff matchups. Watch some baseball, college and pro, and of course. Let us know what you want to talk about when it comes to the NFL draft. That will be our next show next time we get together from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios. Thanks again for tuning in here on this Saturday or whenever you listen to The Right Hash. And we will talk to you as we always do. 